Well, this last week, I was in a pretty regular reflective mood. And part of that was because of the funeral of uh, uh, President Bush. As we saw the funeral and all of the things connected to that, what happened is that they began to kind of run some news footage related to his life. And the people who were running that little documentary set were saying things like, now in American history, and what was crazy is like that American history was when I was in college and I was feeling a little old, right? I remember being in my dorm room and uh, my roommate said, dude, the Berlin Wall fell down. And I thought he meant like it actually fell down, like someone constructed it poorly or something. I was like, what? So we were watching this, uh, this little black and white uh, television in our dorm as people are pounding holes into the Berlin Wall, as people are crossing um, East and West Berlin, being reunited with family. I remember coming home over Christmas and uh, watching just with, with amazement as various Soviet countries were falling and were declaring their independence. I just remember my freshman, sophomore year of college thinking, man, the, the whole world is changing kind of right underneath me. And it was just one of those weeks where I just kind of took a step back and realized a couple of things. Life moves really fast. There's a lot of things that happen. And I don't reflect probably often enough. My guess is you don't either. My, my guess is that you're always, like I am, kind of onto the next thing, the next appointment, the next week, the next schedule. And, and this type of year, or this kind of year, rather, is the, the opportunity to stop, to be able to reflect, and to think. What's happened? How has God proven himself to be faithful? The Advent season, as we even think about the birth of Jesus as a moment for us to reflect on a story that we're all probably familiar with, but is a really important moment in history, a moment for us to pause and see how God intervened. So maybe you haven't started reflecting at all yet. Can I invite you just to do that even now? Let me ask you a couple questions. So December 2017, one year ago, just think of where you were. Think of where you were physically. Some of you weren't in this room December 2017. Some of you may not even met a Christian yet. Some of you could look at 2018 and realize that um, you didn't have a, a child that's in your home that you now have. Or you could also look at 2018 and realize there's a big loss in your life. Maybe 2017 was a, was, was a year with a, a host of difficulties. Maybe it's a year where you could clearly see how it was that God showed up and helped you. As you think about this last year, what are the things that you would identify as being thankful for? Are the things you could look at and say, you know what? It was hard. But God was faithful each step of the way. The whole point of Psalm 18 is to do just that. It's to reflect, it's to think, it's to take a historical perspective. This is another royal psalm. That's what we're looking at during this Advent season. We're looking at royal psalms, psalms that speak to either the victory or the authority or the reign of an earthly king, namely David, but point to the reign of a heavenly king, namely Jesus. So there's a, a connection between the king of kings, born in Bethlehem, and the king of Israel in Psalm 18. And what happens in this psalm is that David, when he writes it, he has a historical lens in view. 
2 Samuel 22 records this very psalm, and it's towards the end of David's life and reign when he, he looks at all of the ways that God has delivered him. He takes a step back and he, he sees the ways that, that God has proven himself to be faithful, and he pours out this offering of praise. Psalm 18 is the rehearsing of how God has showed up time after time after time after time. So listen, I don't know where you are today. You may come to church today. You may be super weary and discouraged. I got good news for you. This psalm can help you if you listen. This psalm can remind you, you know what? Life is hard, but you know what? God's still good. You may be here today, like, I'm not, like you're so thrilled. You, you know the bonus that's coming through, and you're, you, you know that at the end of the year, vacation's on the way. Your kids are going to come home. Everything's perfect in your world. Everybody's happy and getting along. I don't know where you live, but you, that's, and, and, and you're thinking, man, this is great. And I want you to be reminded that this is one of those moments. Savor the goodness of God. The bad news is, is it's not going to be like this forever. But you need to cherish these moments because they become markers of a reminder that God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgotten you. So this psalm is an offering of praise regarding three things that I want to show you about God's deliverance, about God's power, and God's blessing. And then we're going to make some applications at the end. So God's deliverance, God's power, and God's blessing. Let's take a look at the first one here, God's deliverance. Look at verse 1. This is awesome. I love you, O Lord, my strength. David just starts out, God, you're awesome. I love you. You're my strength. You're my help. If you look at the earlier text in Psalm 18, there's like a description or a title that's there. Some psalms have this. They often describe the author of the psalm. Sometimes they even record the kind of tune that was supposed to go along with it. So just a reminder, this was the songbook of Israel, and these songs were actually sung. So there was a tune to them. Oh, don't you wish we still had that melody? I do, particularly with lament psalms, just to hear what they would have sounded like. So Psalm 18 says to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said. So David was the king of Israel, but prior to being coronated as king, he was the anointed king. And during the period between his anointment and his coronation, he was an outlaw. He wasn't part of the family of Saul. Saul had been rejected as a king. David was a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man that set his heart on the Lord. The Lord appointed him to be the king. And in this in-between period, David was on the run. He was living in caves. He was hiding out in the desert, didn't know who he could trust. He had to partner at one point with the Philistines, becoming the bodyguard for the king, and then had to figure out, how do I do this while not fighting against my own people? David's life was incredibly complicated. His best friend was the son of the king, and it, just, it was a very, very difficult season for David. And then after he becomes king, it doesn't get a lot better. He's assaulted by armies trying to attack the, the nation of Israel. He has his own personal issues where he's not a perfect man, and he has rebellion even with his own house, has a coup that happens with his son Absalom. So David's life was sort of an up and down journey, a lot like your life and mine. There's moments that are just incredibly awesome and the moments you think, what in the world? But here's the thing. At the end of his life, David looks at the totality of what has happened and his conclusion is this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. 
David sees the, the mountaintops of how the Lord proved himself to be faithful, and David says, God, you have helped me over and over and over again. So friend, if you're in one of those seasons where you're in the valley, can I just remind you that there's been other seasons when you've not been in the valley? And if God was faithful then, he can be faithful now. And the totality of our life is various seasons of high points and low points. It's the story of even Jesus' birth, high points and low points. The king of kings is born, the, the son of God is announced to shepherds, only to have Mary and Joseph have to run for their lives because the king wants to kill them. I love you, O Lord, my strength, he says. Notice this, verse two. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now, David's not being overly um, narcissistic and just thinking about himself. What he's acknowledging here is that God individually intervened for him. God cared for him he intervened in his life. God's not just a God that sits back in the, the sky of heaven and is removed from our experiences. God personally intervened in David's life. And all of you know, if you're a follower of Jesus, what that was like. It began when you heard the gospel for the first time. However old you were, you understood that you were a sinner, that you needed a savior. You understood that, that your greatest problem in life was the fact that you keep messing up your life and God helped you to see that you needed a savior. God intervened in your life. Those circumstances were not by accident. God cared for you, God loved you. You may be here today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. You need to know even this Sunday is because God is personally pursuing you. He's personally pursuing you. He knows all about your life and orchestrating the events of all things that are happening because God is in the process of drawing you to himself. David says, he's my rock, he's my redeemer. Verse three, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. David saw over and over and over how God helped him and delivered him from his enemies. Look at verses four and five. I love the gutsy honesty of the Psalms. Isn't that why we, we run to the Psalms when we're in pain? David says this, the cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. Four different ways David says the same thing. What's he saying there? He's saying he was in a hard place. He felt the wrapping chains of death and they felt like they were gonna crush him. You ever felt like that? So depressed, so weary, so sad. You, you can't even believe that you feel this bad. And you know what's scary? Is wondering, am I ever gonna feel good again? Maybe you wake up in the morning, and if you're honest, you're actually sad that you're alive. David says, the snares of death confronted me, the torrents of destruction. The idea is this flood of destruction assailed me. The idea of this, this overwhelming flood. He doesn't even know if he's gonna make it and he feels like he's just turning over and over and over in the, the tidal wave of pain and difficulty. Tell you what, if that's where you are today, can I just encourage you? The Bible has words that speak right into what you're feeling. And David knew exactly what that is and, and every person who's, walked and journeyed through life, knows what it's like to face the snares of death when it, it feels as like, you know what, if, if, if this doesn't turn around, like, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. And yet, look at verse six. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried from help, 
I cried to my God for help, and from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Can I just remind you, this is what the psalmist says, and this is what the Bible says over and over, God hears your prayer. Just because he hasn't answered in a way that you want him to doesn't mean that he hasn't heard. In fact, one of the assaults of the enemy, one of the ways that the devil would love to get you off course is to convince you that God doesn't care and God doesn't hear. And one of the things that's helpful is when you survey sort of the history of your life, you can see seasons when straight up you were thinking that, but God heard your prayer, you just hadn't gotten to the other side of the answer yet. I've described it before as the dark side of the will of God, like you're moving around a, a gravitational orbit and you're on the dark side where it's cold and it, you wonder how in the world is this gonna turn out and you're just a few days away, a few months away, maybe a few years away from the gravitational orbit of God's grace in your life to come around the other side and the dawn of his grace to be able to shine. We don't know all the ways in which God works, but what we know is there's a divinely given floor underneath all of our suffering and hardship. No doubt the disciples thought it was over when it came to the death of Jesus. Stood at the cross and thought, what a waste. Only two days later to say, He's alive! So it's just a matter of where your perspective is, whether you're just after Good Friday or just after Easter Sunday. Psalm 18 invites us to realize that God is a faithful deliverer. For 400 years, there was silence from God in the people of Israel in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and then God broke in with the advent of his Son. In the classic story, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and Hopeful arrive at their destination, the celestial city. If you've not read Pilgrim's Progress, you ought to make that a goal in 2018 to read that, or 2019 rather, to read that wonderful book written by John Bunyan while he's in prison. Story of two travelers who make their way to this heavenly city. They finally arrive, they can see celestial city, and then in front of them stands this wide river. They wade into the water, and Christian panics because the water is deep, and it begins to almost get over his head, and Hopeful, who's rightly named Hopeful, says to him, be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Hmm. Can I just remind you, there's a floor, and Jesus bought the floor. And although the overwhelming reality of floods may come and although the challenges of life at times may seem like the snares of death are gonna confront you or the cords of death are all around you, there is a God-ordained floor. God is always good. He delivers. It may not even be in this lifetime, but the Bible promises that all things work according to his good plan. And honestly, if you take a look at your life, you can probably see the hints of that pattern. Things that you just couldn't have imagined at the time. How in the world is this worth anything? And now with a little bit of history, you can see, ah, I see what God is up to. You may be here today, you're not yet a follower of Jesus, and it may be that all the circumstances of your life have been very difficult recently in order for you to ask this singular question. Is this all that there is? 
And it may be that God uses the pain and the difficulties of life to even awaken you to the need to consider that there has to be something more, and there is. It's the person and work of Jesus. So David extols the deliverance of God. Here's the second thing that he does. He stands in awe of God's power. What follows in verses 7 to about 45 is this beautiful portrayal of the way in which God has powerfully intervened in David's life. It's as though he wants you to know God was on my side, God was working. Let me show you a few things. In verses 7 to 15, we see how David connects God's power to the created order. He says things like, The earth reeled, in verse 7. He bowed the heavens and came down, in verse 9. He made darkness his canopy, in verse 11. Thick clouds with water, in verse 11. Hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. He uses... He talks about things in verse 15 like lightning and thunder and the sea and the foundations of the earth. And all of these things respond to his command. And what David says, you see all these things that are filled with might and power? My God commands them. My God owns them. The message here is don't mess with God. The created world with all of its mystery, with all of its power, obeys the voice of the one who David says, he is my rock. And then in verses 16 to 18, David identifies the way in which God moves in order to save people. Look at what he says in verse 16. He sent from on high and he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hate me, from those who were too mighty for me. He marvels at the fact that God set his affection on David, that he delighted in David, and that's why he rescued him. I mean, just think of the fact that you're in this room today. You're hearing this message only because God, has, God set his love on you. He set his love on you way before you ever loved him. If his love for you was conditional on your love for him, you'd be in terrible, in a terrible position. God loved you way before you were ever interested in him. He ordained all of the events of your life converging at the moment that you understood your need if you're a follower of Jesus. Then look at verses 20 to 30. His power is seen in advocating on behalf of those who are faithful. Verse 20 says something that I need to explain to you. It says, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. Now, if you know yourself, you read that verse, you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Uh-oh. David is not saying here that he was perfect. He knows he's not perfect. He's not saying that he's been completely righteous. Instead, what he's saying here is this, that when you faithfully follow God and you do what's right, God advocates and he shows up when you take the risk of doing what you know he would want you to do. That he advocates to the man or woman who walks in their integrity. He advocates for the one who acts in righteousness. When the whole world is acting another way, God's working for those who work for him. It's similar to a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want you to read this on the screen here. It says this, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure? 
But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now this is really important. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. What did he do? But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Why is this important? Because there are some of you, in the midst of being reviled, the first thing that you want to do is you want to revile back. You want to say, oh yeah? Well, what about, and you want to go to that place. Or when you are threatened, or when you are suffering, there's a temptation to say, well, just wait until I get in the position of authority, and you think you've made my life hard, just wait till I have that power, and then you get in that seat, and oh, is it tempting now just to pay back with what's come your way, and everyone in the world operates in that domain. Everyone operates under that system. So how does someone not operate in that realm? It's by believing that God works for those who wait for him. We entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. He says in verse 27, you save a humble people. It takes faith to be humble. Haughty eyes, you bring down, verse 27. Verse 28, for it is you who light my lamp. And then verse 30, so important. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. So when you have a decision, you may have a decision this week as to are you going to go on the right side of the equation and do what's right, or are you going to go on the wrong, are you going to go on the wrong side of a particular issue? And it takes faith to do what's right. And when you do what's right, you stake your claim on the fact that God's word proves true. Verse 31. Who is, who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? He then goes on and explains this power shows up in the, the strength that he's been able to experience. He, he talks about the fact that my feet are like the feet of a deer. He set me on security on the heights in verse 33. He trains my hands for war so my arms can bend a bow of bronze. So David takes it very practically. He's like, even when I was in battle, God, you were the one that was helping me. And what David does here, something that's so incredibly important, he connects God's empowerment to his activities. He realizes that he was the one that was working, but he wasn't working alone. That God was working in and through him in the same way that the New Testament describes that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, it means that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it means that when you do things that you know that are right, when you speak a word and it lands on someone's heart and they're like, man, that's really helpful. You ought not walk away and go, that's right. You ought to realize, man, God spoke through me. If you're parenting your children and you say something and they, it lands on their heart and they say to you, oh, mom and dad, thank you. That was very helpful. That was, you are very wise, right? <laughs> After the AED wakes you up from your miniature heart attack and you realize what's happening, you ought to know in that moment it was God who was at work. When your employer says to you, hey, man, great sales this year. You killed it. Here's your bonus. You ought to look at that and go, man, without God's help, this would never have happened. Some of you made decisions in the last year that were absolutely incredible, and you know, whoo, <laughs> some would say you were lucky. No, God was the one who was orchestrating things behind, your, behind the back, behind your back and behind the scenes. 
So what David says here is that my life is this, this beautiful intersection between I'm working, but God is the one who's working in and through me. Finally, he talks about exaltation. He says that you've given me, in verse 35, the shield of your salvation. See the way in which David proclaims the deliverance that God supplies and how he's been exalted. Verse 40, you made my enemies turn their backs to me and those whom I hated I destroyed. He's talking about victory. Verse 44, as soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart. They came trembling out of their fortresses. So the idea is that David has been able to see the way in which God has proven himself to be trustworthy and has helped him. Certainly not in every situation, not in every circumstance was it easy, but yet when David sees the totality of his life, he knows, God, you showed up over and over and over. You see, underneath David's life was this this bedrock of hope that God is at work and he will be faithful. Can I just encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that bedrock is the same bedrock that's underneath your life. I was thinking about this, and when I was a kid, we had these little toys. They were called weebelows, I think was what they were called. They weeble, but they don't fall down. You remember that, right? So you could, you could flick them, and they'd go whoop, and they'd come right back up, right? Or I remember as a kid, they had like punching bags. They were like these, this, this plastic inflatable, and then it had like a, a weight at the bottom. Maybe it was like Spider-Man or something. You just like haul off and punch it, and the thing would whoop, go all the way out, and it'd come right back up, right? You'd hit it again, and it'd come right back up. You'd hit it and come right back up. And I look at the Weebolo and the punching bag, and sometimes I feel like that's me, right? Like I get hit. But here's the great thing. When you trust in God's sovereign purposes and you know that he's your deliverer, the strength of that weight means that you just come right back up again. And the history of God's people is this, that trials and difficulties, temptations come. This may have been a really, really bad year for you. And can I just remind you, you may be all the way at the bottom, but I want to remind you that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You may not see how all things work out in this lifetime, but the Bible tells us that God's got a plan, a plan for your deliverance and a plan for the provision of the strength that you need. And then finally, here's the, the blessing of God in verses 46 to the end. It says this, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Verse 49, he says, For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Why? Because great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. So David sees the totality of his life, and he sees the faithfulness, he sees the blessing of God, and as a result, he breaks out in praise. What's more, He's determined not just to say the Lord lives, but he's determined to tell the world that God is for him. He's determined to praise God for the ways in which God has proven himself to be trustworthy. So he recounts his blessings. He says, salvation has been brought to the king. God is the one who made my victories happen. God was 
had overwhelmed David with his steadfast love, and as David surveys his life, he recounts the amazing blessing of God. He says, the Lord lives, the Lord gives, the Lord is gracious. It's no wonder, David says, I love you, O Lord, thy strength. Let me give you a few applications. So we think about this psalm and where it lands on us. There are some of you that when you think of this psalm, the one step that you need to take today is simply this. You need to reflect. There's some of you who are here today that you've been so busy in the activities of life that you started to wake up every day overwhelmed with what's next, overwhelmed with what's not right. You, become to, you started to become a negative person. Maybe even your family members around you haven't told you this yet, but you're starting to change. Like there's this little dark cloud of a gloomy countenance that started to rest. And here's why. Because when you look at the landscape of life, the things that looks like in high definition to you are all the things that are wrong. And it'd be really good if you took a step back for a moment and maybe take out a piece of paper in the next week, here's your little assignment, and start listing all of the ways that God has proven himself to be faithful in your life. Start thanking God for the things that haven't gone wrong, the ways in which he has been helpful. Maybe you could go through your calendar, just kind of walk through it and be reminded, oh, that's right, this happened and that happened, and be reminded about this. Or scroll through the pictures. There's this thing on Facebook that like, pulls out these pictures from the past, and not too long ago there was this picture from 10 years ago with me and my two sons, Hayden and Joseph, standing in front of the Himalayas in India in 2008. And they were so little and I had so much hair, and <laughs> I was just like, wow! And life just went by like that. And yet it allowed me just to thank God for his kindness over 10 years. It's not been easy, it's not been perfect, but God has been there every step of the way. And friends, we need to reflect on that. Here's the second thing you ought to do. You ought to marvel when David rehearsed this list, it led him to worship. It ought to lead you to worship. David calls God his fortress, his deliverer, his refuge, his stronghold. So look, when you consider Advent, don't let the familiarity of the story steal the amazement of what God did. He delivered. He sent a child. He humbled himself to become part of humanity and you ought to marvel at what he did then and what he's continued to do. Some of you have become a Christian this year, and you ought to marvel that God rescued you. Some of you are listening to the Bible. This is the first time in your lifetime you understand what's happening in the Bible. Some of you, this is the first time you've been a part of a church where you're experiencing community. And granted, you probably run into the three people who are ungodly in our church every other Sunday, but the fact of the matter is, is you're, you're finding some really good people to do life with. Just don't become the fourth person, okay? <laughs> you ought to rejoice. God's at work. For some of you, your son or daughter are still wandering away. They're not where they need to be, but you, could, you still have conversation with them. God sustained that relationship. So rehearse the ways in which God still has helped you. Don't be stuck so on the gaps that you miss the goodness of God. Third, this text invites us to trust you need to know this psalm was not just sung by David, it was sung by others who took his music and then sung it in the temple and in the synagogue. This psalm 
and the season of Advent remind us that we can keep trusting God even when it feels as if evil is winning. No doubt Mary and Joseph thought, what are we going to do? We're going to Egypt to flee from Herod. No doubt the disciples thought, it's over with the crucifixion. And yet the psalm reminds us that even when the cords of death feel like they're wrapped around us, when destruction feels like it's flooding our souls, we can take heart, we can lay our burdens at the feet of Jesus and say, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. Some of you came in today not believing that he can help you, and I hope that you leave today at least with 24 hours more of this thought, God can help me, God can help me, God can help me. And then finally, this psalm was meant to create a declaration among God's people. David longed to praise the Lord among the nations. He would sing God's praises to anyone who would listen. In the book of Romans, chapter 15, Paul quotes this text, Romans 8, quotes Psalm 18 as the evidence as to why the Gentiles need to hear the gospel. So can I just remind you that every single follower of Jesus has an amazing story of the ways in which God has delivered you. And he didn't do that just to make your life easier. He did that to show the world that God is still on the move. And so when you have opportunity in the next few weeks to talk about what it is that God has done or to talk about what the meaning of Christmas is, don't lose or miss the opportunity to platform the praise of God for the declaration of his great name. He saved you to save others. He set you free so you could declare that freedom as the Christmas him goes, go, tell it on the mountain. That's the point. Some of you will have unbelievable opportunities. Don't shirk back from those. Explain to people the way in which God has been proven to be your deliverer. He delivers, he empowers, he blesses. Psalm 18 is just an overflow of David's praise. And Advent is a season for us to be reminded that God intervened, that our God lives. He's our strength. I want this to be a season where you could say, praise you, God, because from you all blessings flow. All blessings come from you. In fact, let's sing that together. I have the words on the screen here. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Oh, Lord, it's easy right now to say these words and sing them. We, we believe them. Straight up, we believe them right now, but there'll be challenges this week for us to really wrestle with whether or not we believe that all blessings do come from your hand. So would you make us not just a grateful people, make us a vocal people who will say to you, I love you, O Lord, my strength, 
and to say to others of you, as you give us opportunity, you know what, this, this thing, this business, this athletic ability, this success that I'm seeing, this whatever, it, like, it's not me, man. It is the Lord who's at work. So we want to platform you, help us to do that well. And then, Lord, for those today who are under a hard press with varying burdens, oh, Lord, would you remind them that you've not left them, not left them, but are working in ways they can't see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.